When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red. My name is Matt Davis, hosting as ever, and we're going to do something slightly different this uh, second episode of the week. We're going to talk with Reds fan and author David Marples about his new book, Reds and Rams, The History of the East Midlands Derby. It's out now, so we're going to talk about that. And we'll also get David's perspective as a fan on the season thus far and what he thinks might happen. So, David, good to have you with us. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, really pleased for uh, being on the show, so I'm really grateful for you inviting me on. So, yeah, but all good, all good. Well, I got a character reference off Greg, and uh, as you said to me, I'm not, not sure that's a good thing or something along those lines. But yeah, Greg, Greg Bouts for you is one of the good guys, so happy to have you with us. Well, that, that's that's frightening that I've been judged by Greg Mitchell, but um, I'll just have to accept that and roll with it. Yes, that's all we can do in the circumstances. <laughs> so um, tell us a bit about yourself before we get into the book, just as a fan and an author. Yeah, of course. Uh, so, uh, I, I, you know, I, I just general forest busybody, really. Um, was behind um, a blog called In the Top One about five or six, so maybe seven years ago. And then one of the uh, people who was behind Bandy and Shinzi as well. Um, I've been writing a regular column in the Forest Match Day programme, just entering my seventh season uh, doing that. And that straddled the Fawaz ears, which was uh, Fawaz era, sorry, which was a whole bunch of fun. Um, and, and also one of the latest ventures is uh, Trevor Francis tracksuits. I am that guy who makes the Sabutio recreations, so I'll have to my hands up and accept and, and own that um and and yeah this is uh, my second book uh, the first book was called um uh, the history boys uh, 30 iconic goals in the history of nottingham forest uh, that was about five or six years ago and um now we're, we're here with the second book uh, hitting the shelves uh, on monday as it were are you allowed to expose the secrets of the sabutio videos how long they take no 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 that would be like the wizard of oz um peeking behind the curtain um, and I think the magic is just best retained if I leave that all to your imagination. You can find them on Twitter anyway. Uh, they're very good. They're good fun. So the book then, uh, History of the East Midlands Derby. Tell us a bit about the history of, of the East Midlands Derby. I, I think I sent in the notes to you earlier in the week. I mean, when did it become a big thing? Is it a historical thing in terms of the size of the towns? Is it like an industrial thing? Brian Clough thing? What's the, what's the backstory? All of those things basically was fascinating researching the whole uh, the whole topic. Um, th- this, you know, really because uh, it's interesting to find out it wasn't just a Brian Clough thing as you alluded to, but um, this has been going on for quite a long time. So the book starts with almost sort of starting the Victorian era, where obviously we've got Derby, who've got their uh, the, the, you know the mills and the industry and their self engineering and the self styled underdog really. Uh, and being the centre of the railway industry, in industry really. And we've got Nottingham, its reputation as being uh, home of the rebels. We've got its lace market, a little bit more urban perhaps, uh, rather than rural Derby. And I think you can already see from the differences between those two places how that shapes these two 
cities in very different ways. There is a sort of um, some kind of strange sort of difference between them, a cultural difference, a historical difference, and, and very much a social experience uh, as well. And this goes back to arguably um, 1892, basically, when Forrest joined the league, the Football League. Derby had already been there for a little a while, but 1892-1893, uh, so the first league fixture between Derby and Forrest. Um, interestingly, there was uh, a fixture out in India in August of that year between two uh, army regiments, the Sherwood Foresters and the left-wing 2nd Battalion Derbyshire Regiment. Um, if you are of Forest Persuasion, which I'm sure you are watching this, uh, Forest won uh, 1-0. A private green scored the winner in August 92. Um, interestingly enough, uh, it was reported that in the crowd were shouts of play up knots. So <laughs> rightly or wrongly, I can confirm that knots Forest is a thing and goes back as far as 1892. So we'd probably better start just dealing with that and accepting it in some ways. Um, but uh, yeah, the first league games took place in October 1892. Forest beat Derby 3-2 at their race course ground. Then uh, Steve Bloomer scored the first goal, an absolute legend for Derby County, who went on to score um, countless hat-tricks against Forest. And um, it wasn't a brilliant game. Apparently Forest were the better team. And obviously in the return leg uh, at the town ground on Derby Road, near where the Savoy Theatre was, uh, huge excitement, vigorously contested these games. Uh, tensions ran extremely high. And this is even in the very first fixtures between these two teams. Uh, another quote here a few years later, matches between Derby uh, and either of the Nottingham clubs are always exciting. So keen is the rivalry between the two teams in matters of football. So Derby fans... Uh, also, you know, from the early days, saw people from Nottingham as uh, as different. The rivalry was there. They referred to Notts County as the Lambs, which I guess was some kind of insult to Nottingham folk compared with the rather more uh, powerful Ram, as they would have it. So, in short, it's been going on an awful long time. Um, and then in 1895, we had a few couple of brothers called Frank and Fred Foreman, who kind of stoked the fans of this rivalry. Um, and, and really sort of arguably tipped it into antipathy towards each other. Uh, both players left Derby to go to Forest to play first-team football, and these were the days of the amateur ranks as well. So there was accusations by um, Frank in, in the local press of broken promises, and he warned players, other players don't sign for Derby. You know, um, he wanted to play football, uh, they wanted first-team football, so these kind of... Um, these kind of um, transfers uh, and players wanting to leave for first-team football have been going on longer than we thought of. And like I said, the Foreman brothers perhaps was a, a turning point or a key sort of signpost in the rivalry between Derby and Forest. And well, we all know the rest of the story since then. So did it, was it elevated in the 70s with Clough then or was it already, from your research, uh, peaked as much as it is now? Um, yeah, I think... Prior to Clough, there was a period where we, they didn't play each other that frequently, to be honest. Um, I'm just looking back round here. So, yeah, in the sort of 60s, uh, it, 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 we, they, were, they were in different leagues. So that kind of went off the boil a little bit. Some will tell you that the rivalry was with Leicester, but 
I'm not sure, you know, it's difficult to say with certainty. There was always that rivalry bubbling under. But obviously, when, um, you know, when Clough came to Derby and started being incredibly successful, and then what we saw was the the, the drain or the, the sort of, in some ways, it's been a motorway of players going between Derby and Forest, which even, well, even to the current day has been uh, a well-trodden path, shall we say. I think that's when the antipathy... It didn't it, like I said, it didn't go away, but it was certainly resurrected um, with a with a passion, culminating in perhaps my, the, the most sort of um, fierce game, which was the FA Cup game in 1983, when Peter Taylor had come back to Derby, said he was retiring, came out of retirement. Uh, Forrest, lo and behold, drew Derby in the FA Cup in January in 83. Taylor was in the hot seat. Uh, and uh, Derby beat Forest 2-0, thanks to, uh, in part, to an Archie Gemmell goal, which went past Steve Sutton. And, and I believe on that day, there was, um, there was rancour behind the scenes. There was um, uh, a story that, you know, Brian wouldn't acknowledge Peter Taylor after the game and dropped various players because he thought they were going to go easy on Derby. And uh, again, off the pitch, uh, after the game and around, um, let's just say, Relations between fans weren't so great at that time either. So, you know, the Brian Clough thing is, and then we've got the constant thread with Nigel as well running through. So um, it's um, it's been bubbling over for an awful long time. And only now do we see uh, do we see a minor break in, 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 uh, in, in relationships between the two. Yes, we'll come on to that shortly. You've mm. gone into my next question there already around the most memorable games. I mean, which games stand out for you, be it through research or through personal experience in the stands? Yeah, I mean, obviously uh, the Ben Osborne game, the Robert Earnshaw game. Um, I also, there's a particular sort of favourite game. I think it was 1989 in August at our place and, and Forest won 2-1. And, and there's, uh, one of the goals was scored by Stuart Pearce and it wasn't a thunderbolt and it wasn't a free kick. It was a deft touch. If you can imagine that 80s team, Pierce picks up the ball in midfield. He does a one-two with naturally Nigel Clough. He gets it back and he gives it the most deft touch just to just to poke it uh, into the corner of the net. And it just sort of reaffirms what Stuart Pierce was all about. Just a superb player. So that, that was a, a personal favourite. I guess my second one, and this might sound a bit odd, but it... <laughs> It's a game our players last season. Given what was at stake, and given even at that stage, we all knew that either way, Forest wouldn't be playing Derby for a, for a while. Uh, given that obviously the points deduction for Derby, I just thought it was incredibly important from a Forest perspective not to lose that game. If Forest had lost that game with Derby in the situation that they were, they would have always had that. They've got the ten men, obviously, but they would possibly have had that, which would have meant even more. I think you know this idea that. Yes, they've been useless. Left. Yes, they've gone down to third tier, but we turned Forest over at the city ground. And as a sort of a side issue to that one, it kept the bizarre run uh, going that no uh, Derby manager with the surname of Clough has won at the city ground since 1925. So to lose that record to Wayne Rooney would have been, shall we say, disappointing. So um, has your view of Derby changed uh from researching the book i mean i don't know to what degree you disliked them or not beforehand but have you developed a grudging respect for them at all or not is it exactly as it was gotta be careful what we say here um but um um i think that's a really good way to put it actually a group a, a, a begrudging respect i mean the first thing i will say is i'm not from nottingham so um whilst i uh obviously have um a feeling towards derby by a strong osmosis 
you've been my lifelong uh, supporter of Forest, um, you, you know the whole local, the nuances of that and, and not being born in Nottingham. Uh, I understand, obviously, but I can't say I, I, I understand the deep roots of it. Although, having done the research that I've done, I think I'm a bit closer to understanding it. I think the interesting thing was looking at any football club's history. You're going to not sort of come around to like them, but just seem to understand them a little bit better. Um, you know, the, the Robert Maxwell era in the 80s is a fascinating period, which probably deserves a book all on its own. Um, and then also to understand that where they are now, this last season, um, I, I was trying desperately to keep up to date with the whole uh, plethora of statements that were released by the EFL, by Quantuma, by Middlesbrough, by Steve Gibson, etc. And it, it just seemed to be changing the picture every day. So, um, you know, to try and keep up with it uh, was, was a real task in itself. But um, I, I think part of the um, motivation for the book was to try to understand why these clubs, why these cities, why these sets of fans detest each other as much as they do in order to understand that I felt I had to get a feel for what Derby County is and what kind of place Derby is and and that relationship between the club and its fans and how it's rooted in the community and its origins so it's been I would say that of any club if you, if you research it in as much depth perhaps you're going to start to understand them but yeah I, I think um I don't know about respect but I, I, I certainly feel I understand this club and the city a little bit more than I did at the starting point of this um, task that I undertook. Where are you from originally? From Rotherham. So, um, uh, yeah, so uh, there's a whole story for that. It's fairly straightforward, but uh, but obviously uh, growing up in Rotherham in the early 80s, I, I'd, I'd alternate between going to see Rotherham and Forest. Um, Dad wanted to go and see some really good football um, from Rotherham to go and watch either the Sheffield clubs or the Leeds team was probably not an option. But down the road, literally just down an hour of the road, were this great football team who everybody loved and certainly loved their manager anyway. So, uh, you know, since 81, 82, um, that's when I started going and, and just, you know, like I said, uh, understood through osmosis the rivalry between Forest and Derby. Yeah, I only ask, well, I'm probably, you're the first fan I've met. It's a very tiresome debate on Twitter this week around <laughs> proper fans. What makes okay. it, what what qualifies you as a proper fan? But like you, I'm not from Nottingham, right? Um, so I probably have a similar attitude to Derby and a different attitude to some Forest fans around. I don't like Greg. We mentioned I, I didn't want to go out of business. I wanted to get relegated and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting around who's a proper fan and who's not a proper fan and who That's gets a, to stay and who who isn't. Fascinating debate for another day. I think, but what you just said there really resonates. You know, people, it was a huge discussion at the time. Do you want to see Derby go out of business? And I think genuinely, well, as a football fan, I don't really want to see any club go out of business. Um, and, 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 and even though they're a, a deep, fierce rival, I think part of the looking at the, 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 the nature of a rivalry, part of the joy of a rivalry is having them around um, so that you can beat them once in a while. Otherwise, the rivalry doesn't really seem to exist. So the pain of losing a local derby is absolutely horrendous. But I think in many ways that's counterbalanced by the joy of beating your rivals. And in an ideal scenario, you do play each other semi-regularly, but you always beat them. So for that reason, it, it, was, it was odd to sort of try to imagine um, a landscape without a fierce rival because every club defines themselves just as much by their rival and who they don't get on with just as much by how they see themselves as well so in short I think it's nice 
that the Derby, the East Midlands rivalry is off the table for a little bit. I just think both clubs, 14 years, have been locked together intensely. I think everybody could have probably just do with a break from it. Le- you know, least of all, because any time um, a team loses the Derby, a manager gets sacked. So it's nice to just sort of unlock from that situation for a while. Well, I suppose the other thing is, I mean, touch wood, we want Forest to stay in the Premier League. So realistically, it's going to be quite a few years, we hope, before we play Derby again, don't we? I, I think so. And that that, that was uh, how I kind of saw the book in the last chapter sort of panning out. I didn't really expect the two clubs to leave that table as, as dramatically as they did. You know, with Derby hurtling through the trapdoor and Forest elevating, going up the, the stairway to to heaven, uh, if you like. So I really couldn't have foreseen that at all. But um, yeah, you know, and, and, and that's why I think that the game at our place uh, last season, which we kind of knew would be the last one for a while, was just incredibly important from a Forest perspective uh, not to lose that game because it could, well, there was a moment where there was a severe existential threat to Derby where we thought it might well be the last Derby. So it was a huge relief, I think, to not lose that game and delicious to win that game. Let's talk about the Premier League then. I mean, we're probably of a similar vintage. We haven't seen. I've seen Premier League football, but I'm, you know, my familiarity is Championship and even League One football. How, how are you finding it this season? Uh, a, a learning experience, I think, like lots of people. I, I, I had no idea. You know, I'm sure we've all been asked, "How do you think they'll do?" And and usually you have an inkling. I had no idea for for so many obvious reasons how we do this season. And I got to be honest, I'm still nowhere nearer. Um, knowing how it's going to pan out this season for, uh, again, the very obvious reasons. We've got an entirely new squad. Um, but the other thing that was an unknown for, for certainly myself, and, and it sounds like it for you, you yourself as well, was that I didn't know the, what the gap would be between a half-decent mid-table Premier League side and a very good championship side who's gained promotion. I, we, we, we all wanted to perhaps believe that there wasn't such an insurmountable gap so, you know, playing clubs like Everton and, and maybe teams like Southampton, you're thinking, how good do we need to be? Do we need to be at our absolute best to match these teams uh, like Everton? If Everton are just, you know, having a bad day and we're at our best, does that mean we automatically beat them? And it's that kind of intangible that I think um, we, we're starting to get some answers for, but I'm still not quite sure at all, um, you know, where that sort of, uh, where that line is, where that standard is, least of all, because we're not quite sure what we're about, really. I mean, we've had some very promising performances, but apart from the West Ham game, we've not really yielded much in terms of results and points. So we can take heart from the uh, performances against Tottenham, from the performance against Everton, etc. But um, what I'm not quite sure about is is what else do we need to do to get points? Now, on the one hand, that might just change and the fact that luck might go with us a little bit and we'll start putting some more chances away. And the the, the horrible negative pessimist in me is starting to worry that even when we're having, performing well, we're still not quite in a position to seal those points. So, you know, we all hoped that the Bournemouth game would be a um, great barometer for us. Um we all know how that went. We probably don't want to revisit that old ground at, or go over that ground at all in any depth um, whatsoever. I think we have to just move on from that one. But obviously, I think the, the takeaway from that game was that we all expected us to sort of, well, we're better than Bournemouth. We've got a better squad. They're in disarray. This is three points for us. But <sighs> cliche alert, even Bournemouth, that's not quite how the Premier League works. So how many games do you think is a 
a suitable data sample before before we can judge? <laughs> it's an excellent question. I mean, I think six would be a, a standard, a good answer. And, and here we are, six games in. Um, are we any nearer? Probably not, because you've got to write the Man City game off. And, 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 and the Bournemouth game... I wish we could write it off. We can't write it off. But in some ways, that that we, we've just got to hope that's a, a total aberration as well. You know, so um, in essence, four games in. Let's knock the Newcastle game off because we, you know that was the first game. So you could argue we're only three sort of serious games in uh, on which to judge and have a sample size. In short, Matt, I'm kind of dodging your question. I've no idea. I mean, we'll go to Leeds. We'll play. Bourne, we'll play. Sorry, Fulham, isn't it? And I'd like to think that we'll have a much clearer idea there. But the thing that worries me is that obviously we go into this run of games and suddenly it's turned into a we must get points from these games. Now, obviously, well, that is a situation we were going to be in all season anyway. But it just feels like there is, uh, feels like there's some kind of pressure mounting not to win every game. That would be ridiculous. But certainly in the first instance to put a performance in against Leeds, and Fulham for a sustained period of the game uh, after the previous game, which shall not be named. Yes, as we record this, I should say, the sad news about the Queen means we don't know if it's Leeds or Fulham next or even Leicester. But like you say, a lot. do you think too much has been made of these fixtures? I'll read them out this next mm. run. As it stands, Leeds, Fulham, Leicester, Villa, Wolves, Brighton. And then you go into Liverpool on October the 22nd, I think. Yeah. I think Liverpool's the next yeah Saturday home game, isn't it? Are we, are we piling too much pressure on ourselves, in a sense, by looking at these fixtures and thinking these are the easiest ones? Well, I think the Liverpool game looks a home banker at this moment in time. Uh, speaking well, of... Well, I've seen last night. Oh, my God. What's, what happened there? Alexander, you, I mean, you've seen the clip of Alexander-Arnold and Gomez, like statues, I take Yeah, it. absolutely. Um, I, I, it's frightening thinking about it. I mean, Fulham, again, uh, whenever, should that game go ahead... Mitrovic, he's not going to score in the Premier League. Worrell can handle him. And suddenly, that doesn't look to be the case. So things seem to be changing every game. I also think um, any team needs a little bit of luck to get going, to kickstart the season. Now, we think about the last season and uh, being in that Tuesday wet evening at Bristol. You kind of sensed it, even at the time when we came back to win the, uh, with those two goals in at a time. You even sensed it, not that we were going to get promotion, but you just sensed that, ah, that's a starting point. That's a bit of luck that we needed, not to win the game, but you just need that little bit of luck. And, and you just need something like that to kickstart and give players confidence um, um, to, 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 you know, go out and do what they need to do. So we need that from somewhere. And that's not because we're, we're useless or anything, but any team just needs that moment uh, to uh, to kickstart a season. Um, looking at the other, the other teams as well, you also need a look in terms, a bit of look in terms of when you play them too. Um, it would be nice. <laughs> it would be nice with Brighton. What's happened at Brighton? You wonder how they're going to react. Bournemouth as well on paper. We thought that would be a good time to play them. Turns out it was a horrific time to play them on the back of the nine nil and Gary Gary O'Neill changing the team and suddenly they had nothing to play for. So they were a dangerous opponent at that time. Looking back. Um, and, and obviously with Leicester, who knows what's going to go on at Leicester in the next sort of 10, 11 days too. Um, so it, it's such a it's such a changing landscape all the time. And I guess all we can do is, is I can hear Steve Cooper's voice now, just focusing on us, um, seeing if we can manage to find a rhythm and some kind of formula that's going to work. And I guess it seems to me Cooper tried to do that for the first four, four games, perhaps have some kind of settled team. 
And and it seems like in the last couple of games, for very good reasons, I can I, we can surmise that there's been a few changes in team selection, which is not in itself a bad thing. But I guess over the next couple of games, it'd be nice to see some kind of uh, settled team uh, and, and that starts to gel, that starts to come together, that starts to uh, show us that there are some partnerships building up over the field, uh, you know, different parts of the field. So they're not they're not must win games, but I do think they're games in which we need to see some kind of uh, grassroots of, of performances and uh, development coming together in these games. So how big a challenge do you think he's got then, Cooper? Because you rightly say, and I agree about it, we need a period of stability, mm. but we also need to find out what a best eleven is. And if he puts out the eleven against Bournemouth, he's putting his uh, not his head on the chopping block, obviously, but he's in, at risk of being seen to be stubborn. So it's a bit of a catch-22, isn't it? it? It is. And this is why I think the pressure's building. And I think one of the things we've... When you when a club does what Forrest have done, and this is something we're going to have to suck it up and own, basically, when, when, when you do what we've done, when you sign 21 players, um, you're going to be scrutinised. You're going to live and die by that. And how that is perceived is is obviously purely uh, uh, it's going to be based on results. So you know what? Simply simple, really. Uh, we are currently being sort of mocked or laughed at in various quarters, and we've all seen the various memes, which are funny first time, and then they're just tedious. But but we, we it seems it seems funny to me seeing Forest fans getting touchy about this. This is the path we've chosen, so we're going to have to embrace it and own it, basically. Um, and, and if we continue to stumble and scratch around for, for results over a sustained period of time, because we are going to, you know, this is the Premier League, this is where we are. But if that continues, and the longer that continues, the more that the strategy we've adopted is going to be seen to not work it. Um, yes, we need to build a new squad. Of course we do. Um, but also we have decided to release lots of players as well. So like it or not, for right or wrong, this is the, this is the, this is the path we've chosen. Um and um, yeah, I think Cooper's job is really, really difficult because um, we saw how he could do it last season. He put a squad together. Uh, he, he mainly stuck with a kind of a settled sort of first eleven, anyway, or at least a first sort of fourteen, and that served him really, really well. And we got the results, and obviously we know what happened. But trying to mould a squad from arguably a bigger pool with a, a more disparate range of players um, in a league that's incredibly challenging. Well, we know Cooper's an excellent coach, but this is a this is a huge task for him, I think. Uh, just before we go, then a couple more questions. Which players from the current crop are you liking the look of so far? Yeah, I mean, like lots of people, uh, Mangala looked great to start with. Um, and, 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 and also the game at Grimsby, you kind of think, oh, they look awesome. And then you remember it's Grimsby as well. But um, and it, what it's so... Difficult to judge again because it's so it's a little bit inconsistent as well. You know, the first few games you thought uh, the defence looked sound, um, and then you see the last couple of games and you think not too sure. But obviously, I think as football fans, we must sometimes guard against deciding that player X is awesome after five games but useless after the next five games. I think Nico Williams um, is an outstanding player. You know, he's he's the one who really stands out for me. Uh, defensively, gets forward, does exactly what uh, you can imagine a Steve Cooper right wing back would do. And it was absolutely quality. So I'm really pleased that we've got um, a, a player like him as well. Um, Lewis O'Brien as well, uh, gets through a lot of work, 
wins the ball. I've got to be honest, when we played Hurstfield, probably because I was wrapped in, up in other things, watching us and just being nervous about us, but I didn't really notice him that much. And maybe I'll be laughed at for that for not noticing how good he was. But when you see him now play for Forest, you can see his, his absolute skill and quality on the ball. And what really impressed me is that the Newcastle game, you could sense that it was so fast and you're worried about whether he's got the pace. But again, football... Um, punishes you harshly when you form an opinion on a snap judgment. And we can see since then that he's managed to to learn and to adapt and really grow incredibly quickly. So, you know, Williams and Lewis O'Brien seem to be really adapting fantastically well for me. And Yates, when he came on at Everton, um, I was worried he was outstanding. But then obviously a few games later, well, <laughs> as the narrative tells us that Yates is not good enough. So again, it comes back to what I'm trying to say, Matt, is we need a bigger sample size. Yeah, I agree with all that about Yatesy and yeah, all the plays you, you mentioned. I wrote about it the other week. Uh, I'm glad yeah. we've got Nico Williams permanently and not alone, having watched that Napoli game. I don't think they might want him back. <laughs> yeah, their best right back had a shocker, and his deputy who's playing central defence was even worse, if that was possible. So it, it was it was it was just crazy. And you start to think, well, oh, I wish we were playing Liverpool uh, in the next couple of weeks, actually. We might even have a chance. <laughs> but what will game. happen is Man United will be soaring by Boxing Day. And, uh, and you know, whereas, again, when we saw them lose to Brentford, I'm sure like many other fans, I was thinking, yeah, fancy playing Man United now. Exactly. The pendulum swings very quickly, as I said on Monday with, with Fletch and Greg. Um, just tell us before we go, then, the plug for the book. Uh, the floor is yours. So yeah, no, so available from all usual outlets, uh, all respectable ones and less respectable ones. Uh, so you know that you know you know the ones. Um, and, I'm, and I'm optimistic as well uh, in negotiations with the club to do a signing in the club shop as well. So um, that, that'll be, if that happens, that'll be great because, uh, you know, it'll be very quiet on that day. So if I am signing books in the club shop, then that's the time to go and get the new shirt as well because the club shop will be absolutely empty if I'm in there. So uh, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but that's one of the things we're sort of in discussions with at the moment. But uh, from, from various outlets, it's, uh, it's 120,000 words. It's uh, hardback as well. So um, even if you don't fancy reading it, it uh, makes an excellent doorstop. And obviously with uh, the winter situation around the corner, there's a stack of pages to be burning if you need to uh, put them on the fire. So um, reasons enough to buy it. Uh, and, and there's also some pretty pictures in it too. So uh, yeah, it, I'd be really grateful um, if, uh, if you would even consider buying it. Yes, not that anyone would burn it, but it might be the most economically <laughs> efficient use of the books these days. Sadly. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, time, times are tough, but uh, like I said, um, I'd be really grateful if you'd even consider it. Thank you. That'd be great. Well, it's called uh, Reds and Rams, the history of the East Midlands derby, as I said, and it's out now. Uh, we shall be back. I don't know, as I said, with the news today about the Queen passing, why we will be back next week at some point whether it's reviewing leads or looking ahead to fulham or a general state of play but we will be with you with uh well one of the normal lads and uh, i shall arrange a guest to be confirmed so thanks for everyone who watched along i hope you enjoyed this as normal as ever if you did do like and subscribe and give us a good review on itunes in the meantime david thanks very much for joining me thank you it's been a pleasure thank you for having me on and thanks again to everyone who watched and we shall see you soon